we are in this series we've titled uh, The Time Is Now, um, which I just realized the time is about 7 o'clock, according to that. But um, disregard the time on the face of the clock. It's, it's just symbolic. The time is now. Uh, there are some things that we as uh, as a church staff and as church leadership felt like uh, would be timely for us to just pause. We were, as you know, going to be back into Revelation right after uh, the holidays. Uh, but we felt like it was a timely thing to just pause and, and address some things uh, in the life of our church that we feel uh, are important as we move forward into 2024. Um, again, our mission as we have presented it and as we present it each week is that we would help people, people of all kinds of people, all ages, all ethnicities, uh, all backgrounds, uh, to find and to follow Jesus. And, and our vision is beyond that, is to make disciples who make disciples, that we, that we produce, we produce reproducers, uh, who, who will then make disciples here at LifePoint, near, that is, our, our community, our region, our nation, and far, meaning, uh, international mission. And we w- would hope that in time we would become a sending church, that we would be sending people uh, out from here uh, to serve Christ in other places. So the time is now for us to get serious about those things, to really uh, bring them uh, into crystal clarity. And so we've been talking about four essential commitments that we are um, we are presenting in rhyming words so that they're easy to remember. So say this with me. Show, know, grow, and go. Again, show, know, grow, and go. So two weeks ago, um, we, we talked about show from Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. I challenged each of you to, uh, to show up in church every Sunday uh, that you're able uh, to worship God and learn from God's word together. Uh, secondly, to show up in a life group um, in order to build community with a small group of others within this church where you uh, know and are known, where you uh, can care and be cared for, where you can pursue spiritual growth in community with others. And then third, to show up as a LifePoint Church partner. Partner, uh, if you uh, don't know, is our term, the term that we have chosen here at LifePoint that other churches might call membership. Um, And these packets are available at the back, at the connect table. Uh, This is the old-fashioned way of doing this, pen on paper. You can also go to LPC, mylpcoe.com forward slash partner, and you can fill out these forms online. Uh, But... um, my, my simple challenge to you is to stop dating the church and get married. Um, and, and so that you know that, that uh, and we know that, that you're in, that you're a part of this church, that, so that others in the congregation know that they can count on you, that we as leaders know that you are wanting to be shepherded within this fellowship. Um, and, and so that's, that's real important uh, for us to know. Someone said, well, are you saying that if I don't become a partner, you're not going to shepherd me, you're not going to care for me? The answer is no uh, to that question. But it helps us to know that you are volitionally uh, coming under the leadership of this church and and that uh, not only can we count on you, but you can count on us to be there for you. Um, and I just want to clarify one other thing, and that is uh, I, I, made, I put an emphasis two weeks ago on and being on time for church. And, and I think that's an important value for us. Very important. 
um, for a variety of reasons. But some people were offended by that. And, and so I want to apologize if you were offended by that. And uh, no offense was intended. My intent was to, to challenge you uh, to be on time for the sake of our guests who do come on time and, and for your sake that, that you would have a full worship experience and say, so would your kids. Well, last week we explored that second essential commitment for each of us at LifePoint, um, which is to know, specifically to know God, to genuinely know each other. And we thought together about the reality that God has made himself known to us in a diversity of ways, that God is always reaching out to us, always making himself known. Um, so that Paul said in Romans 1, we are without excuse when it comes to knowing God. Um, that to read the scriptures is to come to the overwhelming realization that, that God intends us in the church to know each other uh, radically, a rad- at a radically deep level, and to love and serve each other. We looked at 59 different commands in the New Testament that contain the words one another or each other. And I hope that you realize through that, and part of my intent through that, was that that you would realize that uh, it is impossible to be responsive and obedient to the commands of Scripture regarding each other without a radical commitment to the church. Um, It's just implied that we are a community of believers that are called to love and to serve uh, each other in... in, uh, and, and to do a whole bunch of other one another's as well. As, as I quoted last week, one pastor said that you get the impression that the, the job of the early church was to one another, one another. And, and so that's what we ought to be doing. And then I challenge you to, to draw close to God and to each other in this year, that, that you make a, a deeper commitment to your own walk with God, that you make a deeper commitment to fellowship with other believers. And so this morning we come to the third one, which is grow third essential commitment. I want us to think together about this biblical mandate and to think together about how we can help each other in pursuing spiritual growth. Uh, Bible teacher and author Warren Wiersbe once wrote this, that in the Christian life, we never stand still. We either go forward or we gradually slip backward. We either go forward or we gradually slip backward. Backward, And sometimes that slipping backward is almost imperceptible until we reach the point where we have, we, we become conscious and we realize that we have slipped a long, long ways. There's nothing static about this, the life in Christ. It, it's a dynamic life. We're either growing or we're regressing. Growth is a sign of health and vitality. Healthy people, healthy plants, healthy animals, have a natural tendency to grow. Uh, Throughout the New Testament, we find the apostles urging and celebrating spiritual growth in the lives of believers in Jesus. For example, in Ephesians 4.15, Paul wrote, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Colossians 1.28, him, that is Jesus Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Second Thessalonians 1.3, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. 
Second Peter three seventeen to eighteen. Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Hebrews six one. The writer put it very simply: Let us press on, or let us uh, let, therefore let us go on to maturity. Our intent, our desire, our hope is that each of us who are part of the LifePoint Church community will choose to engage in those things that result in spiritual growth. That that becomes a priority set of decisions for us. And that's why the Apostle Paul, or Apostle Peter rather, wrote, like newborn infants, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Like newborn infants. And by the way, did you hear that our supported missionaries in Japan, Ian and Maki Smith, had their baby? On January 5th, little Emma came into the world. Beautiful little girl. We're thankful for, for them. All of us love babies, don't we? I mean, it, it, it's a strange person that doesn't love babies. They, they just bring out a, a loving, caring, nurturing kind of instinct in each of us. They, they make us laugh. They make us cry. They make us spend money. And, and, and there are moments uh, when we say, and I'm sure you've said this, I've said this to my kids, other kids, I wish that you would just stop the passage of time and that, and that he or she would just stay the way they are right now, right? I mean, you, you just want to hold on to that snapshot of their incredible cuteness, right? But what if that were to actually occur? That they actually just stopped growing, they stopped maturing, they stopped developing. We would be somewhat alarmed, wouldn't we? I mean, we would say something has gone terribly wrong. And why is that? It's because we want them to grow and mature. We realize the irrationality of that, oh, I wish you would stop growing. And so we celebrate every observable indicator of that happening. First time they say dada or mama. Um, you know, their first solid food, their first steps of funny things they say and do. Uh, that day when they're finally potty trained, hooray, and, and on and on. My point is this, we ought to be as vigilant and as attentive to the spiritual growth of a new Christian as we are to our infant children. The Christian who's not making progress towards spiritual maturity is an unhealthy, malnourished, stunted Christian. And an unhealthy Christian becomes a vulnerable target for the enemy of their soul to attack and to destroy. Open your Bible, if you will, uh, and turn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Just two verses. I'm not going to have you stand because it it take as long to stand as it takes to read it. Uh, but we're going to camp on these two verses for just a little while. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I don't know of a, another uh, verse or a couple of verses in all of Scripture that so encapsulates the, the process of spiritual growth. 
And I want you to observe with me first quickly the structure of Paul's exhortation here, just so we can see the flow of his thought. There's a, there's a command, which is walk. Walk. And that command is followed by four participles, which are rooted, built up, established, and abounding. Command, walk, four participles, rooted, built up, established, and abounding. First then, the command, walk. Uh, the Greek word for walk here is graphic. It's important. Uh, it's uh, peripateo. It literally means to walk around. Uh, to walk around. Pere meaning around. Pateo, to walk. It, it always makes me think of the words uh, the theoses use. What we call a hike, they call a walkabout, right? That's, that's that. I love the I love the Australian lingo. A walkabout. And that's actually the sense of peripateo. That not just walking in a straight line, but walking about, walking around. By the way, you may have heard someone talking about, if you're a new believer or, or, or not a believer yet, you may have heard someone talking about their Christian walk or their walk of faith. And that's where this expression comes from. Uh, it describes the, the conduct of our lives in view of the fact of our faith in Christ and our obedience to him. The New Testament has a lot to say about this walk or this walkabout. Uh, the word appears many times in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. For example, Ephesians 4.1, uh, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And, and I just want to point out the word worthy there. The word worthy comes from the, the marketplace and the scales in the marketplace and uh, the word worthy means equal to, in balance with. You picture scales in your mind so that they come to level, they come to balance. Live a life, walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Ephesians 4.17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So that there's a, an, a mental and intellectual facet to our walk. Ephesians 5.8, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And I could go on because uh, there are many, many uh, ways that that word walk is used in the New Testament. The sum total of them tells us that the fact of our faith in Christ must result in decisive change uh, in the ways that we live. Other translations have it, continue to live your lives in Him uh, and live in vital union with Him. But notice with me then what precedes the command. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Paul's pointing to the fact that they had received Christ be sure. But notice the word as. Um, you may say, well, you're really, you know, reaching for details here, Jim. But it's important in this context. It means just as. Or, or in the same way, in the, in the same manner as. And Paul wants them to reflect on the manner or the basis on which they received the Lord. And then notice with me the word received. How many of you know that the words 
that we use not only express our understanding of things, but also then in turn give shape to our understanding, sometimes limit our understanding. So that the words that we use, especially when it comes to ultimate truth, really do matter. For example, we Christians often talk about the need for someone to accept Christ. I mean, have you used that language? Uh, You kind of understand that language? Uh, To accept Christ in order to have our sins forgiven and then to be reconciled to God. Do you know that the Bible never uses that word in that way? Uh, Instead, what it says is that on the basis of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, who took away all of our sin, God has made us acceptable to him. When we believe in Jesus. See, we're the ones with the acceptability problem, not him. That's important for us to understand. We are the ones who were unacceptable. If you ever hear a a pastor or a teacher say, oh, you're acceptable to God just as you are, just turn around and run. Because what that person just said is the cross wasn't necessary. The cross is absolutely necessary. Because we are the ones that he then accepts, not on the basis of our record, but on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ. The moment of faith is not one in which we put Jesus to the test, scrutinize him, determine whether he is acceptable to us, but but that moment when we recognize our sin, our rebellion, our hopeless alienation from him, our complete unacceptability, our liability to condemnation, our utter unworthiness to receive anything from him, and we cry out to him in humility and in brokenness for his mercy and his grace. And when we do that, we we shockingly, scandalously receive Christ Jesus, the Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus is God's gift to us, not because of our acceptability to him, but because of our unacceptability. And in him, by God's love and mercy and grace, we receive forgiveness of all of our sin. We receive a new nature, reconciliation with God, the gift of eternal life. And we receive a new sovereign, that is a new Lord, a new ruler, a new master, the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul then says, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk around in him. He's saying that our walk, our lifestyle, our our decision making, our goal setting, the values and priorities of our lives, the investment of our personal and material resources all need to reflect who it is that we received and the manner in which we received him. We started by grace. We must continue in grace. We started by faith. We must continue by faith. We started with Christ. We must continue with Christ, not get distracted, not get deceived, not get derailed. He is more than enough. Well, that's the command. Walk around in Christ Jesus, the Lord, living in vital union with him, discovering day by day new dimensions of his love, his mercy, and his grace. So now the participles. And you say, What's a participle? I think I remember that word from my English class. Not sure what it is. Well, a participle is a a verb, which is normally an action word, right? 
That's used as an adjective, a descriptive word. What's its purpose? In, in this case, it's to further describe, it's to add some color to the meaning of the command, walk in him. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And again, the four participles are rooted, built up, established, and abounding. The first is in the perfect tense, again, which is important, um, meaning an event that happens one time for all time with, with continuing results. So that, that, that first participle, rooted, refers to an event that, that happens one time for all time, and we stay rooted. We, it has continuing results. The other three are in the present tense, which, which describe an ongoing action. And by the way, I don't, I don't, you know, some pastors flip Greek around. That's not why I'm doing this today. I just want you to understand what's being said here. Greek language is so much more clear than English. So that first one, rooted in him, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Gardeners are going to resonate with this image. The, the word rooted here is, is, the, is the word from which we get our word rhizome, which is a word for a particular kind of root. I'm not sure that Paul had in mind that we should focus on the kind of root, but rather the fact of rootedness as, as, as the essential condition for growth in Christ. And the sense is uh, of sending our roots deep into the soil and drawing up nourishment, drawing up life and strength from him. Um, I'm kind of a wannabe gardener. One of the things I've learned is, is that when I want to create a fertile environment for seeds to germinate and, to, and for roots to grow, um, for plants to draw up all the nutrients that they need, my strategy should not be primarily to just feed the plant, which some people do. I'm, I'm feeding my plants. Rather, my strategy needs to be to feed the soil in which I hope they will grow. To give attention to the soil, it matters. In gardening, the health of the soil is, is perhaps the most important factor for, for healthy plant growth and development. And that's really the thrust, I think, of Jesus' parable of the gardener and the soils. You remember that? The gardener goes out to sow. The gardener is God. Uh, he goes out to sow just one kind of seed. Seed is the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. And the only variable in the story is the soil on which the seed falls, right? And the condition of the soil either encourages or prevents healthy germination and growth. I, I mentioned that the, the verb tense here indicates that this rooting that happens to us in our spiritual lives is a once-for-all event. And what that means is that once we're rooted in Christ, um, two things need not to happen. One is that we're uprooted, but also, there's no need for any kind of transplant. There's no need for any other soil than Christ himself. There's, there are no amendments needed to the soil of Christ himself. Our roots will draw up nourishment from Christ provide our, and provide our lives in him with strength and with stability. Prophet Jeremiah paints this picture. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is the Lord, he is like a tree planted by water that sends out, its roots, sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. 
Living Bible describes it this way, let your roots grow down into him and draw up nourishment from him. Second participle is in verse 7, or second part, never mind, built up in him. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. This image is vivid for those who are who work in construction. It, it conveys the, the idea of building on a foundation that's already been laid. It's already been poured. It's ready to go. And to build according to a pre-designed set, set of specifications. Now we would call it a blueprint. And the foundation, of course, is Christ. And the structure being built on that foundation is your life in him. And again, that calls to mind another parable that Jesus taught, recorded in Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. What are you building your life on? Jesus was was calling his hearers to take heed not only to the building of the house, but to the foundation on which it's built. An inadequate foundation can spell disaster. As the New Living Translation has it, let your lives be built on him. Third participle is established. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. What does it mean to establish something, to to establish someone? It's to do what's necessary to make that thing or that person stable and steadfast. And in this case, that that stability, that steadfastness is is to be in the faith. Notice that that this faith, uh, this is not faith generically. He doesn't say established in faith as as if it were just a subjective, personalized experience. Instead, he says established in the faith. As as a faith system, a, a body of doctrine, a body of truth that can be and must be taught. And in that case, that body of of sound doctrine is found in the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments. And that centers on Jesus as Messiah and Lord, biblical Christian faith. It's that body of doctrine that Jude had in mind when he wrote, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And what is in view here is the faith, biblical Christian faith, in which we are to become stable and steadfast. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. To Timothy he wrote, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And it shouldn't surprise us then that when Paul comes to verse 8, here in Colossians 2, that he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. 
There is more overt demonic deception at work in our world today that at, than at any time in my remembrance. And there are more Christians and more churches being taken captive by it than ever. It's being disseminated in our government, in our schools, in the media, in entertainment, and especially online. It's like Satan has just pressed the accelerator, put the pedal to the metal, and I don't want to urge you to give urgent, critical attention to the question of whether you and or your children are established in the faith. It's another reason, going back to the essential commitment of showing, I mean, I I just think about our children. (laughs) Are our children really getting established in the faith? Do we care? Is it really a priority? Is it something we're giving attention to? And I'm concerned for you for that, that you be established in the faith. See, if if you're blessed to have been taught sound doctrine, hold fast to that. Be strengthened in it and by it. If you are not, then, then make sure that you're now seeking out solid teaching, that you're seeking out sound doctrine, that you're being trained by it. We're committed here at LifePoint to teaching God's Word. We're, we're committed to teaching it as clearly and, apologi- and unapologetically as we know how, to the very best of our ability. Our desire, our intent, is that you would be taught the Bible here in our Sunday morning services, in our life groups, in adult elective classes, in our youth ministry, in kids' life, our children's ministry, That's our commitment. I love the way that the Living Bible paraphrases this. Become strong and vigorous in the truth you were taught. Become strong and vigorous in the truth you were taught. I want to add as well that if if you have been taught sound doctrine and and you can form words and sentences, (laughs) you are needed to teach, mentor, and disciple others of all ages here at LifePoint. We need teachers uh, for all ages. Before I move on to this final participle, it's important to make note uh, of one other distinctive of the Greek language that's present here. These first three uh, in the Greek language are, are in what is called the passive voice. What does that mean? It means that you and I neither root, build up, nor establish ourselves. Um, we do not possess the capacity in ourselves to accomplish those results. It means that God has to do it. Um, And if he doesn't, it doesn't happen. It's not that we can't intelligently cooperate with him in that. We must do that. But the reality remains that we are entirely dependent upon him for our spiritual growth. Here's the fourth and final participle then. Abounding in thanksgiving. Established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This this word abounding 
It is often used by Paul. It seems to be one of his favorite words. It speaks to abundance. That's the root word, of course. But it speaks to surplus. It speaks to extra. It, it suggests the picture of a, a river overflowing its banks. Unlike the first three, this fourth participle abounding is in not in the passive voice, but in the active voice. It means that we should overflow with thanksgiving as we recognize God's activity in our lives. We should intentionally, volitionally, actively express thanksgiving for what he has done, for all that he is. And in the same way that that uh, luxuriant green leaves and fruit bearing are a sign of a healthy plant. Perpetual thanksgiving is, is a mark of spiritual health and spiritual maturity. You'll never find a genuinely spiritually mature person who's grouchy. We're all grouchy sometimes. But if that's a kind of an abiding mark of your character... You're probably not a spiritually mature person. If you're looking for a spiritually mature person, look look for one who overflows with thankfulness. Uh, spiritually mature people will be some of the most positive people you've ever met. Who doesn't like to be around that person? In Ephesians 5, Paul says that thankfulness to God is, is an indicator of the presence and the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and then in Colossians chapter 3, it's the result of result of God's word at work in our minds and hearts. Thanksgiving is the constant and the, the, the characteristic note of the Christian life. Again, Paul wrote to the believers in Thessalonica, give thanks in all circumstances for this, this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Well, in the time we have left, I want to share with you six key components that we should be sure are present and active in our lives if we're to grow in our walk with Christ. And and again, this I'm sharing these things simply because I want you to grow. I want you to understand how to grow. I want you to understand the means of growth. And so in order to do that, I just want to share a, what I think is a very practical visual illustration that was developed about 90 years ago by a guy named Dawson Trotman, who, who was the founder of a Christian ministry that's still active today, known as the Navigators. Uh, began as a, a ministry to uh, the military during World War II. Uh, my dad at one time met Dawson Trotman and was really profoundly affected by the ministry of the Navigators. But this is called the wheel illustration, and I, I'm pretty sure that at least some of you have seen it before. Uh, I was thinking earlier that if if Dawson Trotman knew that this this wheel illustration that he first wrote on a napkin in a restaurant was still being used in churches, he'd, he'd kind of be blown away. So notice notice the illustration. Christ at the center, you see the spokes, you see the, the rim of the wheel. The hub, let's talk about the hub first. Um, the hub is the, in, in any wheel, is the, the source of torque that rotates the wheel. Uh, torque is, by definition, is the, the tendency of a force to rotate an object around its center. That's, that's the physics of, it, of torque. It's, it's the center that empowers the rest of the wheel. And in other words, in this illustration and in life, Christ is the power at the center that turns the wheels 
of our lives. Total surrender to Christ's authority and lordship uh, is not always a decision made right at conversion. Am I right? I mean, you, know, you didn't become instantly submissive and obedient to the Lord the day you were saved. But it is a necessary act of the will, and it's a posture of the heart that says, I will become obedient to Christ because he is my Lord. The one thing that is true when we, on the day that we trusted in Christ is that Christ took up a residence in our lives. Christ began to dwell in you the day that you believed in him. Paul wrote in Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. That is, when I looked to Christ on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins, by faith I was united with him. And because I was united with him by faith, as he died, I died. I died with him. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer than I who live, but Christ now lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, here in this body, this side of heaven, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As God takes up residence in our lives, he creates within us the desire to do what he wants us to do in order to express his lordship in our lives. The outer rim, where the rubber meets the road, is that obedience empowered by the Holy Spirit. Some acts of obedience to God are internal, such as our attitudes, our our habits, our motives, our values, our day-to-day thoughts and decisions. But even these eventually surface outwardly, out to the rim, as it were, in our relationships with other people in our day-to-day lives. Uh, So keeping his commands in obedience to him is the outward indication of our inward health and of our love for Christ. Uh, Philippians 2.13 of the New Living Translation says it this way, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I don't always have the desire, do you? Not always. In fact, uh, I have other desires that, uh, that are mine have to do with my kingdom. But, and and neither do I have the power to do what pleases him. But, But as God works in me, he provides all of that. He's enough. The vertical spokes then are about how we relate to God. Um, The spokes functionally help the hub and the outer rim to be in sync with each other, right? A a spoke delivers power from the hub to the rim of the wheel and keeps the outer rim from being crushed. And that converts the internal torque and the power of the hub into external action. It it represents the the internal source to the external world. The vertical spokes are about our relationship with God, how we relate to him. And the first uh, part of that is the word, God speaking to us. Paul wrote 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, all scriptures breathed out by God, by the Holy Spirit. That word breath there is pneuma or spirit. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The other spoke is prayer. So you need the word in your life. It's got to be a, an active vital presence and dynamic in your life. Secondly, prayer and worship. 
It just says prayer. I would add worship to that because those are our responses to him vertically through prayer, through worship, we speak to him. Prayer is the natural response to God as we hear him speak through his word. Uh, It's sharing our heart with the one who longs for our companionship and who cares about our concerns. Prayer not only trains our hearts and minds to know the power and the glory of God, but it also turns his ear towards action in our lives. Prayer and worship are always responses to his initiative. He is always the initiator. And God always takes the first step in our lives. Paul wrote Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Do not be anxious about anything. Boy, doesn't anxiety characterize the times in which we live? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So prayer, worship, essential components in discipleship. Then the horizontal spokes are about how we relate to others. Uh, They're about how we relate to others in the church and in the world. That is those who know Christ and those who don't. And the first part of that is fellowship, or sometimes we use the word community today. God has directed Christians to build each other up, to be interdependent with each other, to foster loving relationships with each other. That was our verse two weeks ago. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. God wants us to be in a vital relationship with each other. The second is witnessing. Witnessing, or another word for that is evangelism or mission, sharing your faith. Uh, God has given to us as believers in him the joy, uh, the responsibility, uh, the work of telling the world about the good news of what Christ has done. Matthew 4.19, Jesus said to his disciples, follow me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So for following Jesus, that, that's one of the things that's going to happen uh, in our lives, that, that we're going to begin drawing others to know God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the overflow uh, of, of a rich life in Christ. Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Well, those are six components that I hope that you're building into your life, that you're intentionally cultivating each of those things in your life so that through them, the Holy Spirit can work in your life and cause you to grow. Now, you may be saying, well, I'm a new believer or I'm, I'm, I'm right, at the, right at the start of all of this. Now, where do I start? Let me just give you um, a list of things that I think are, are important for you right now. The first is to pray. Begin conversing with God. And some people say, well, I don't know how to pray. And that's because you've heard people pray flowery speeches and with great eloquence and loquaciousness. But prayer is just about conversing with God. It's just talking with God. So if you can form sentences, or even if you have to do that from your heart, just pray. Begin talking with God about 
the issues in your life and about the things that, that he's showing you in his word. Get a Bible. Um, if you don't have one, you can take one of ours, tell your non-Christian friends you stole a Bible from a church. Um, but, but get a Bible and read it regularly. And if you're a new Christian, I would just suggest you begin with the Gospel of John. New Christian, or maybe not even a Christian yet, read the Gospel of John. Um, find someone else to read with you so that you can share what you're learning, any questions you may have. You might use our reading schedule that we made available a couple of weeks ago. There are copies at the back at the Connect table. The intent of that reading schedule is to take you through the Bible in one year, but you might say, well, I don't think I can read that fast. That's fine. Just use that as your guide and, and read through the Bible. Uh, listen to Bible teaching online. Do do personal studies. Memorize scripture. Meditate on the, the things that you memorize. Seek to apply to your life what God is teaching you. Third, attend a church that prioritizes teaching the Bible. May I suggest this one? Um, for worship, for Bible study, for fellowship, for spiritual growth, reaching out to our community and our world together. Uh, make sure that you're in a church that teaches the Bible and teaches it unapologetically, teaches it clearly. Um, if you need help with that, if you're maybe watching online and you live somewhere else, we'll be happy to direct you to a church in your area that we know teaches the Bible. Uh, fourth, ask a more ma- mature Christian to help you grow. Um, and there I'm talking about you know spiritual mentoring, uh, personal discipleship, some people call it. But, but ask someone who's maybe a little further along in their, in their walk with God than you to help you take the next steps in your life. Um, this doesn't have to be an aged saint. you know. It can just be someone who's been maybe walking with God a little longer than you have. And you look at their life and you say, I'd, I'd like to emulate some things that I see in your life. Would you help me? Um, that's very important. Um, next, join a life group. And you hear me say that all the time. You see, you hear Pastor Evan say it. I hope you realize that we're serious about that. Um, join a life group. You're going to be, again, you're going to be known and you'll know, you'll care and be cared for, you'll grow. Um, life groups pray together. They look at the Bible together. Um, they eat together. That's a good thing. Um, but join a life group. There's, there's no better place than a small group. Uh, for spiritual growth. And then share your experience of God with others. And again, it could be the story of how you received Jesus Christ and believed in Him. That's important. Uh, talk about the changes that, that God is making in your life, the, the, the reprioritization of your life. Um, share that story with others. And then finally, uh, commit to learning to obey God. And that that sounds enormous, doesn't it? Sounds enormous to me. Commit to learning to obey God. And say, just say to yourself and say to God, my my trajectory in life, my my purpose, my goal is to become increasingly obedient to God. And by loving and serving others, by following Jesus daily, conforming your lifestyle to what He is showing you in the Bible, standing firm when when opposition comes your way because of your faith in Christ. Those are just some simple beginning pointers. I hope this has been helpful. I hope that, hope that it would be biblical, but very practical 
And uh, I hope that you will uh, respond and say, look, this, this year I'm going to make a commitment like I've never made before uh, to grow in my walk with God. And it will show uh, in time that that commitment will be revealed. Well, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the ways that it speaks into our lives. Uh, and Lord, um, what we do not have, uh, give us. Uh, we are not, make us, we pray, for the sake of your kingdom. Amen.